the RTE Rugby World Cup podcast, sponsored by Bank of Ireland. Welcome along to another RTE Rugby World Cup podcast. We're officially halfway through the tournament now, 24 games down, 24 to go, and we're starting to get a picture of how things might shape up as we head into the knockout stages. Ireland on a bye week, no game this weekend, which is probably going to come as a relief, I think, to a lot of the, the fans as well as the players after uh, after Saturday night in Paris. I think we all need a break after that. Johnny Holland is with me, one of our regulars on the podcast. And a big welcome. You saw him wave there right at the top of the show to Mike McCarthy. Good to have you on the pod, Mike. Hope you're keeping well. I'm good, lads. Thanks very much for having me. It's, uh, yeah, just as you say, I think we've just about calmed down after what was an absolute cracking result of the weekend. And with a second row and a, and an out half with me, line outs and place kicking are going to be two of the, the main areas of focus, I think, today. So we're we're well set. We'll get right into it. Ireland 13, South Africa 8 in Pula, in Pool B is the, the main point to, to start off with. And Johnny, before we even talk about from an Irish point of view, even I would say from a neutral point of view, um, taking our own bias out of the equation, like if ever there was a game that showed up that the scoreboard doesn't necessarily matter, you don't need you don't need it to be a, a 30 all shootout, four or five tries apiece to have an absolute thriller. This was low scoring, but about as good as test rugby gets. Absolutely. And I think that's um you see it reflected like with the amount of people that are speaking about it. Obviously it's online, so maybe it's it's biased by who uh, who we come across, but like you see people who aren't Irish and aren't South African speaking about how highly contested the game was. But like if you look at and I know you get into it, the Australia um Wales game, you know, much higher scoring, but the quality wasn't there. Like, you know, and we'll go into that later on. But like the, that the was, quality... in fairness though, that was kind of captivating in its own way just to see Australia implode. But I, I know what you I know the point you were getting at. Like yeah, some if you look at I I watched a bit of it again this morning and I was like, what what is this? Like, you know, individual carries and, and poor defence. But I know we get onto it later on. But the, the South African one during the South African game, I think it was just like you can argue, you know, Ireland with nearly five second ball and all that, and you know the the quality wasn't there as well, and there, there were errors like you know, Kalen Doris had two knock ons that you don't see him making usually. Um, you know, he was unbelievably good around the rock again, like he always is. But like there were there were some errors, but of course that's going to come from the opposition. I think that's what they did to each other. You know, the Irish lineout wasn't great at the start, but again, South Africa probably have the best defensive lineout in the world. Like you know, and they're putting two pads in the air, and there there's a bit more uh, messing going on there as well with who's in the lineout and who's not. You know, so a bit of cheating in going on around the place. So like I think there's there was so much going on. I think it 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 kind of um captured people because of the. Uh, ingenuity as well like you know there was different things going on in attack from Ireland there were different things going on in defence from South Africa so I think there was a lot going on there and physically it was just um, it was right up there uh, I, I don't know if I've obviously our biases are in there as well I was watching it I was so tense and nervous I, I don't think I've ever been as nervous for an international match and caring so much about it but I think half that fear is having to speak about rugby for the next World Cup cycle and, and saying where, whether we got uh, further or not like you know but I think the, the tension was unbelievable and I think a lot of people felt that whether they were Irish South African or otherwise and like I, I sat down to rewatch it on, on Sunday afternoon I think from start to finish it took me about three and a half hours because every couple of minutes there was something you were rewinding and looking back at it again and again and again and Mike we can kind of end up getting so negative a lot of the time when we talk about these matches about low ball and play time and all these stoppages and going to TMO non-stop but like this just showed when when the game is played in the right way and it's two teams 
with the right attitude and it still has all that physicality and all that brilliance. Like it's it's such an unbelievable game to be able to to witness, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. It was just it was an absolutely incredible game. I mean, the physicality it was barbaric at times. Very, I suppose, that gladiatorial edge to it. Um, you know, Josh Van der Fleer dislocating his finger or thumb, whatever it was, early on in the game. Um, yeah, collisions were massive. Uh, we knew what was coming from South Africa in terms of their line speed, the strength of their men, their size, their physicality, and you know, like we said, it just shows you don't need tries to kind of have a, an absolutely cracking game. It was the best game I've seen, best test match game I've seen in a long time. Um, you know, it was built up from the start with that kind of coach familiarity. Um, the the player, the players knowing each other, you know, the RG Snymers, the Jean Klein, his story behind playing five games for Ireland, was it? And then going to play for South Africa, uh, the Razi Erasmus, Jack Neenbar coming to coach Leinster, so there was a lot of story behind the game in itself coming into the game. So that made it even more exciting. But, um, you know, just Ireland really, really stood up. I think, what is it, 16 games on the trot now. They've won 28 out of their last 30 test matches they've won. They're in a great place. And, you know, what a massive positive to come out of that game with a clean clean bill of health. I think only Jack Conan, who obviously wasn't involved, hasn't been involved yet, um, will hopefully be fit uh, because... You know, you need a you need you need a bit of luck, don't you? Going forward in the competition, how long can we keep Johnny Sexton fit for? Um, you know, that's the South Africa game, the Scotland game. Hopefully, a quarter, a semi, and a final. Um, I think everyone's uh, pray, praying every night that they, that he can keep fit. But look, the strength and depth that's there. Um, you know, we've seen in previous World Cups. Probably one of the reasons I got called up in 2015, the strength and depth wasn't there. Um, it's there in abundance now, as we can see. One concern I had, and I'll be honest, I said it on the um, pre-game, you know, I was a bit, um, with the bomb squad, all the talk about the 7-1 split, I was a bit concerned about could two cracking players, Finley Beelham, David Coolcoin, could, could they front up, could they stand up, could they see the game out? And uh, they just delivered in abundance that scrum penalty at the end. That's going to give them massive confidences go, going forward as well. But uh, yeah, just the game, you know, Edge of the seat stuff. I I uh, I pissed my mum and stepdad off actually because um, we were watching it in the in the lounge. They were as excited as I was, but they were just constantly talking. I had to go next door and watch it in the spare room, so they were kind of wondering why I'd left the room. But uh, yeah, just a just a brilliant, brilliant game. Yeah, can't imagine. I one of those where I wish I was there. I'll be I'll be there for Scotland for the the game in in Paris against Scotland. But God, to have missed that one at the weekend, Johnny. You you had your your weekly column on RT.ie today, and you were talking talking about a good few things. But one thing specifically was about how Ireland just changed up their attack a little bit and put a little bit more width into into their first phase. Not necessarily going completely wide, but just maybe a meter or two a little bit further wide of where they would normally attack. Can you, for those who haven't read it yet, and obviously I recommend that you do, can you just give us the the cliff notes of it and and what you were what you were explaining in it? Yeah, so like in, in phase play, we see Ireland playing kind of that one three three one or a one three two two, whatever they're kind of playing at the moment, they're going to change between both. So those two pods of three in the middle of the field of forwards, we we generally see, you know, from an edge scrum half passing to the middle of that pod, so the middle man has a carry or a, a sweet pass to more than likely Sexton at the back. But I know we've seen James Lowe and Mac Hansen in that position as well. And when they get that pass out the back, they hit the next part of forwards running off him and they kind of move the, the point of contact quite a bit. But we've seen that and like a lot of teams are running that shape. Scotland do it quite a bit. Um, so you see that shape quite a bit. And then 
you know, when you're coming up against that shape, I think the the first carry, the middle man is is the is you know it's kind of like an arrowhead, so you know he's going to get the ball, mm-hmm. uh, and and that's where the opposition defense are going to focus on because if they can put him under pressure, maybe that sweep passes and on, so they can't move the point of contact, or he doesn't get a good carry, and once you don't get gain line of rugby, it's obviously um, a very neutralizing thing, and you can't you don't have quick ball after it, and then your attack comes down. So it's am I am I interrupting you just for for maybe those the more passive rugby fans listening to this like when you're saying the arrowhead formation so you've your your one your three three one so it's a, a pod of three players standing outside of the rock one kind of leading out the way and one inside him and one inside him and oops i just knocked over a big glass of water and one outside him as well so what you're explaining to us here is that you know that the man leading the the arrowhead gets the ball and he has an option either side of him and is able to carry as well yeah Absolutely. And you see, like you call those passes like the minus on the inside or the plus on the outside or a tip. And uh, we've seen Ireland do a bit of damage there. Peter Manny had one for, uh, who did he give that to? And Bundyaki scored a try against England, wasn't it? So we see they've, they've made a few line breaks from little short passes within that pod. So it is the, the middleman kind of promoting himself. And then you've they do have a lot of variation off it, in fairness to them. I think Ireland, of all the teams, have a lot of passes from that. It's not very uh, you know, predictable, but... At the same time, it's predictable enough when you analyze them and you watch them for 18 months knowing that they're going to be in your group, um, in your pool, that you know, you know you're going to go hard at that person. And with the South African line speed and with the way they kind of lead their defense, you knew they were going to go after them. And I actually thought, so Ireland changed and they kind of hit the outside man, the third man in that pod um, a couple of times. And at the start, I was wondering, were they just spooked? You know, I wasn't sure if they'd missed their pass or if they were kind of rushing things and gone to the outside man because... Obviously, it's a different picture altogether, and they don't have the same kind of options off that. So I was wondering a small bit when I saw James and Gibson Park giving those passes. I was starting to get a small bit worried. I thought they were kind of because you did see other times where Ireland were uh, out of shape, and there was a there was a carry from James Ryan, um, where it wasn't really planned. He was on his own, and he just decided to carry. And Hugo Keenan came in late to to clear him, and South Africa got a turnover. I think it was uh, Jasper Visa, but uh, so I thought it was one of those kind of moments. But actually, when you see that, it really teed up. The sexton was tucked in uh, nice and narrow. And when the third man got it, he turned inside instead of outside to to kind of use the, the inside man as his protection. Sexton got the ball out the back of that pod and they moved it again with a kind of a, a front door and a back door option. So they had loads of options off it. But I think it was just something that we haven't seen from Ireland and it was quite obvious after maybe 20 minutes that they were going for that. And then maybe even after that 20-minute period going into the second quarter and into the second half, they kind of mixed it up between the, the middle man and the outside man. So I think it was great great subtlety like everyone thinks you have to change the whole thing completely to show a massively different picture but all they're trying to get is a slightly softer shoulder to get slightly more go forward and then the game becomes easier when South Africa are on the back foot I don't think we got them on the back foot as many times as we thought we would but there was intent there to to challenge that defensive line speed and you could see that the coaches obviously came up with something for South Africa in particular you know and Johnny, 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 Johnny there that's, that seems to be something like I'm not going to pretend I know about backs play but look I think that's something that's really developed since the Joe Schmidt days in terms of, you know, when I was in some of the camps with Joe Schmidt, it was very much, you know, Neil, you were talking about that pod of forwards, normally three forwards either off nine or three three forwards off ten. And you normally hit the middle forward or like you were saying, Johnny, you give the tip on pass. Under Joe Schmidt, that's that's really all the only options we are allowed to do. You know, middle forward, either hit it up, give the tip on pass or um, the pass out the back to, a you know, the fly off coming around. It seems now the way the game, their attacks evolved. There seems to be lots of different options they're using off that pod of forwards, um, off nine or ten. Um, and one of them is that that either hitting the first or the second guy and giving giving the pass back inside rather than on the outside. 
So I think I think that's something um, Stuart Lancaster started to develop with Leinster play when I was finishing up in 2017, 2018. But it seems there's a lot more kind of intricacies in those plays off nine and ten with, you know, you know, a hard runner coming hard and putting it behind him. You know, Bundy a key drawing in two or three defenders running a hard line, and you know they they seem to be creating and finding finding space. And Mike, all of those, as you said, those little in- intricacies where. As you said, initially, it's either you take it up the middle or you pass inside or outside. But when there's another option out here and another option further back out here, like ultimately, is that just is it just keeping the defense honest for an extra half a second? It's keeping the defense honest. And, you know, one of the ways of keeping the defense honest is, you know, sometimes you see a pot of forwards and like you're talking about there, Johnny, the arrowhead. It's blatantly obvious the ball's going to hit the middle guy. So your defense just ramps up and especially a team who defend like South Africa, where they they love the line speed. They love that physicality. Getting hard off the line. They send shooter. You know, you often see Fafter Clerk just flying out the line ahead of everyone else. He's got a license to do that. But I think, you know, the way it's developed is every, you know, every forward in that pot of three has to be an option. You've got to, you've got to ultimately look like you're all an option. So, big thing with Joe Schmidt was the animation, getting your hands up, running at pace, looking like you're going to get the ball. Um, so yeah, everyone has to look like they're a, a genuine option of getting the ball. And I think that hitting that third third guy is definitely a tactic that was brought in, especially for the South Africa game, because you know South Africa they don't they, they they don't they don't really watch the ball; they just watch the man. So it's almost kind of as if they're trying to hit hit on suspicion. So they just try and number up, get off the line, and you know hitting that third defender was like I think something definitely brought in for this game. Mm-hmm. One of the the frustrating elements then particularly at the start of the game, was the line-out. It's been an issue for a few months now, but six line-outs lost out of 18. But crucially, four of those in the first 10 minutes and four of those in a row. And Mike, there was there was a mixture of reasons it looked like for what, for what happened. You could see, first of all, South Africa were competing really, really hard. For a couple of those early ones, they were throwing up two, uh, two pods to contest and Ireland were trying to to take James Ryan in the middle of the lineout, and they just couldn't get the ball to him. It was such a difficult throw for Keller. There were a couple of other lineouts where Keller did overthrow us because he was trying to put it into such a precise spot. But from your opinion, what what was going wrong in those first ten minutes, and what can be done as a short term fix leading into Scotland, and we hope a quarter final onwards as well. Yeah, obviously, when you go into a game. You know, whatever position you, you you're playing, and you know, for you know, when I was a forward, it was kind of your visualization of you know receiving that first kickoff. You know, clean for a hooker, it's exactly the same. Your first scrum or your first lineup throw. You know, you'll be doing the visualization of different areas of the pitch. So, you know, definitely to lose your kind of first four lineouts is going to put the jitters up you, and kind of, you know, I think a lot of hookers have been there at some point or, or time in their in their careers, and. um yeah, especially the biggest kind of stage, the World Cup. Um, yeah, look, South Africa have got the best of best lineout defense probably in the world. The height, uh, how rangy their their forwards are. Steph, Steph, Steph de Toy in the back row. What is he six five, six six? Um, you know, some big timber in the second row. Ebenet's a bit standing at the front of the lineout, staring you down. You know, coming off the bench, you got R. G. Snyman, um, Jean Klein. You know, those guys are six foot eight, six foot nine. So first of all, they've got the height, they've got the athleticism, they've got the brains as well. In terms of, you know, they're not just big brutes; they're they're, they're clever. They've done their homework, so they probably know kind of where Ireland are looking to throw. 
first of all, when you do throw, um, when you're defending a line out or more in your own line, as, as, as South Africa were, it is very risky to put a pod up, let alone two pods, because, you know, if, if you don't win that ball or disrupt that ball, the, the team that's attacking catches the ball, they come down and straight away there's... Um, the defending team's got three less players, two lifters and a jumper. So straight away, the attacking team can get that momentum, get that little nudge on, which is so important at the start. You know, obviously you see a lot of teams just stay down. They sit back shoulder of the, the team that's throwing in. They sit back shoulder. So when the team wins the ball, they can just pile drive as, as many bodies early towards the touchline. That's obviously a different tactic. But, you know, South Africa back themselves. They've got two pods up. And I think you have to say the first couple, you know, you can't really blame Ronan Kelleher. It was you know, probably maybe a, a couple of poor options in the calling front, but also you just have to say good defence from from South Africa. Maybe Ireland weren't expecting them to go up on the first one. Um, and then probably the, the, the third and fourth one was a bit of the kind of the nervousness, the jitters coming in on the back of losing your first two. So... I mean, Ronan Keller, he, he certainly set the tone in defence, didn't he? A huge hit in the early in the, those early stages, um, which really set the tone of kind of um, that resilience and physicality that Ireland were going to bring to the game. But um, in terms of a, a fix for the lineout, you know, it, it, I think it is a small fix. I mean, it can be changed pretty quickly. You know, obviously you go back and focus on areas that you know didn't probably work as well as you can. You can imagine the brain's trust of kind of Paul O'Connell, Simon Easterby, how those guys work and um, the walkthroughs they'll be doing. One option is just to simp simply simplify your lineouts. You know, you saw South Africa doing a lineout a lot of the game, which is basically, you know, gives you free ball, easy ball. Eben Etzebet, I think it was Eben Etzebet at the front, preloaded on a five-man, I think it was. You know, the jack-in-the-box, you know, you, you keep your knees bent, preloaded. You know, as the jumper goes, the hooker throws it. It's It's... Um, and, you know, Ebenezer bet one countless ball that way. Now, what you're sacrificing there is win the ball in the middle or the back, you know, ideal position to win the line-out. But I think sometimes maybe when the line-out's not been going well, you just go to something that's simple, basic, you know, and you're definitely going to get win your first two, three, four line-outs. So, you know, I think simplifying things, often when a line-out hasn't worked particularly well in a game, um, you know, the menu will be reduced. So in terms of what's available to use, it'll just be reduced massively. So there's less to kind of learn. Um, you become more familiar with that menu. And it's just repping it in training, just repping and repping and repping. There'll be a look at how the, you know, because it's not the hooker always gets the blame, don't they? But it's, it's uh, it, look, as we know, it comes down to the calling. You know, are they, are they identifying where the space is? Are they calling the correct calls to get the, you know, to, to find that space. Um, what are the lifts like? You know, are the two lifters who are lifting the jumper, are they kind of at full tilt? Are they on their tiptoes? Are they what are the two lifters walking into each towards each other? Um, you know, everything it'll, it'll be looked at with a microscope. So look, I think it's a short-term fix. I think um, you know, a bad day at the office line out wise, but you know, definitely I think we'll just see a huge improvement there. Because you know, one area of improvement for Ireland from the previous game was they were getting penalized on the, on their mall a lot for um the lifters when they were setting up a mall stepping around and blocking the defenders. Um so you know it was good to see they didn't get penalized for that. So you know I think it's a short-term fix that you'll see come to fruition in the next few games. And Johnny from a from a coach's point of view, you'd surely be reassured to see how they did manage to fix things on the fly and they simplify as Mike kind of said they they simplified their calls. They went to a lot of five-man lineouts. 
and just took the easy option of where is the space we throw the ball there. And while it obviously doesn't allow you to to set up a really dominant mall or really attack South Africa in the dangerous places, it's just about securing the ball and you go from there. And to their credit, they worked it out on the fly. And for probably the last hour of the game, the lineout was perfectly functional. Yeah, like it, it was impressive, right? Considering the um, the the losses that they had, it was a bit of a steep curve, you know. But like, um, they only lost I think two more for the rest of the game, didn't they? One of them came after yeah. Peter Romani turned over a lineout, and Master turned it right back, you know. So, and I, I can't remember what the other one was, but the other one was just a it was just a crooked throw. Oh yeah, but like the from a coaching perspective, it's hard because you're going into the start of the game, and maybe because of where the lineup was, like Mike said, you don't know if South Africa are going to go up. But at the same time, I suppose South Africa do go up because they've they've ordinarily picked two quite tall second rows. They might put Mostert at six. The last World Cup they were doing that quite a bit. They were putting a second row at six, and they played Peter Steph to tight, who's like you know he is somewhere between six foot five and six foot seven. So they have a massive lineup. So like I think sometimes you know there's a small bit. Of, I wouldn't say there's ego in Ireland in the, in the Ireland camp, but I know from being a coach, you know sometimes you're like well, we're just going to win our own ball in the way we want to win it, and you go for your best throw. Um, but if you look back at some of the early lineouts, I think Peace was free on on that the one that Mike is calling like the Jack in the Box. I think it was free at the front of the lineout. Very easy to say in hindsight when they're stacked at four and six and they actually go up. I say you still don't expect them to go up, but um, there's another one. I think Bernard Jackman did quite a bit of analysis on it, and that's why I was saying a bit of cheating in at the front of the lineout because Kitsoff was like not in the lineup. Mm-hmm. He was the ninth position, wasn't he? And and there was someone at the back in the yeah. Who was it at the back? I'm not sure who was the back. Yeah, but yeah. It was Malherbe, yeah. Malherbe, Franz Malherbe. Yeah, and like, it was the two props. It's technically illegal, isn't it? But like, it's it's happening so fast that the ref's not going to call it. I'd say he doesn't even see it. You know, that's a that's quite a technical thing for for South Africa to do in the defensive line. I, which... I double I, I double checked. I saw it this morning. Bart tweeted out. I double checked him. According to him, anyway, it is it is legal if the switch is made and the referee is told about it before the throw comes in. Now. You're probably splitting hairs as to the timing of of when it happened, but look, knows, yeah. you're pushing the boundaries of those things like all good teams do. Yeah. But I think they, they did fix it, and I think Ian Henderson coming on the, the lineout had been sorted at that stage. Did he go to five men? I think Pete took it. Pete's a, a very good lineout option as well for a guy that's not caught in their lineout. He, you know, he he takes a lot of pride in the lineout as well, learning a lot from from Paulie back along. But um, from an attacking perspective, I think Ireland don't actually do a whole load of um like full on strikes off the top of the lineup anyway. So like you'd be surprised if they had to they wanted to go for their their best lineup because they normally take it down into a mall and have a breakout play or use the mall itself. Um or you've seen them quite a bit as well, you know, throw the ball to the front and then their winger steps in and they use the winger going out towards their centre and they have that kind of like uh, two of them coming at the line with the twenty the ten at the back. So they actually are prepared for having to win the ball at the front. And it's surprising that they didn't expect that to come from South Africa straight away and that they would have just secured their ball and got into their rhythm because they're a team that plays off the kind of phase play stuff and the unstructured quite a bit more than what they rely on their set piece with. Um, but again, that that's hindsight. And I think if they went back and started that game again, if they go into a final together, I don't think they're going to go for the middle back of the lineup at the start. I think they'll feel their way into the game without getting kind of um, their confidence gone. So, I, you know, they do have the... And I think that's why we see a lot of them. You know, it comes down and the seven or the hooker breaks out. She and her van der Fleer does it quite a bit, you know. So they do have a lot in their in their um, bank of plays that they don't actually need ball off the top like that, you know. So, But it was class from South Africa. I mean, the detail you're going into there that we don't even fully understand. I certainly don't fully understand. Mike does. Um, but it's... Uh, 
you know, there's a lot of detail there trying to second guess what the opposition's trying to do. And maybe it's just because of where the line it was that they didn't expect South Africa to put two bad in the air. But the, the one thing I was thinking there is that like go 3-0 up early on against South Africa, a team that you need to stay ahead of. I was surprised they actually went to the line. It was a very kickable kick for Sexton and I know they wanted to go far to seven points and maybe it was a statement, but three points was easily enough, for, wasn't it? And they went 3-0 down instead of being 3-0 ahead. Well, you've teed it up nicely and I've teed it up nicely as well by talking about teeing things up nicely. Um, let's talk about kicking uh, because that is the other major talking point coming from the game it seems um, is it too simplistic to be honest Johnny though to say South Africa make their kicks they win uh, like I was writing yesterday for example if if you really want to get into it we'll say the Faf de Klerk kick for example where he hits the post South Africa's try a couple of minutes later pretty much comes as a direct result of him hitting the post and the ball rebounding down South Africa win it it leads to a scrum and they march march Ireland back twice and score a try from it. And then another one of the kicks is the conversion from that anyway. So if after Clark puts that between the posts, a try doesn't arrive. Maybe it arrives a little bit later, but there's so many ifs and buts as an example. Um, What's your opinion on it? The, the other flip side then as well, and I think you mentioned it in your column as well, is is it's probably too easy to say Andre Pollard comes in and they win the game because he's a better kicker. Because also you kind of have to weigh up the fact that is Manny Libok moving the Irish defence around and testing the Irish defence more than Andre Pollard is going to? Yeah, like you can say that Andre Pollard comes in and they win the game, but like they have to get him up to speed first of all in in terms of match play because he hasn't played a whole lot, uh, eighty minutes in the last while, but uh, at club level and then. You also have to make him Manny Lebach from phase play who can kick the ball and land it in a, you know, on a, on a six-pence kind of job. He can kick from anywhere. And I know we, we saw the no-look kick, which I think is a bit of, a, you know, it's a bit flamboyant. You're, you're watching the ball go to your foot and then you look away as you're kicking the ball. Like, I think it's, a, I think there's, it was a bit overplayed. But, like, he, he did that with the Stormers. He was unbelievable at, at some of his kick passing and stuff like that. So, like, obviously that has a full effect on the defense of how they come up, how they watch their, their edges and how to back feel as covering and all that kind of stuff so you can't really just reduce it down to goal kicking but I like what you said there because I'm always thinking about missed kicks and uh, maybe I've been there too often but like a missed kick makes the whole game play out differently afterwards you can't say it's the same game because like you said there it was directly uh, related to their try but also decision making is completely different from there Ireland mightn't do the same things South Africa mightn't do the same things you can't say there was X amount of points left on a tee now I do think that Manny Lebox goal kicking has got like it has all already has cost him to a degree, yeah. and it's going to cost him going the whole way to a World Cup, you know. So it, I actually thought Faf the clerk would kick, you know, and then his of course his first one was from just over the halfway, and he hit the post with it. I mean, he was so close to it. I think he's a better kicker than Manny Lebox. So I was surprised that he didn't kick in the first place. Um, but when you when you look at Manny Lebox, like what he's missing is he's not missing from touchlines. Like he's missing very very kickable kicks, and his. It's interesting, actually. I don't know if you see it. I'd recommend looking it up if you didn't. But John Cooney is doing a, a column for World Rugby at the mo- or Rugby World magazine at the moment. And he just had a nice, simple column this morning talking about how Manny Libok seems to be pulling the majority of these kicks to the left. And if you look at it, I actually even noticed it in one of those on Saturday night. Like, this, this is how obvious it, it seems to be. But when he's teeing up that ball, every single one of those balls is that it's lining up outside the left of the post and he's pulling it it's horrible to look at but like I think there's a couple of reasons with any of these things you can get away with 90% of your kick being right and sometimes there's something like this is wrong so like John Cooney alluded to the fact that 
a lot of French and Argentinian kickers fall off the ball. Like we'd always say, fall away from it. So they're, they're moving away from the post uh, to a degree. Now, Lee Halfpenny does that, but he, he actually goes through the ball on a kind of sideways motion. So his his weight is going through the ball. So there's a, there's a number of things, I think, in Manny Box kick that you can't say it's one thing or the other because I think there's there's two major issues on it. One thing is the ball, absolutely. But if, if he tees the ball up, either with the seam down the middle of the post or with the seam slightly away to the right-hand post. There's two two ways of doing that. There's no right way or wrong way. But opening up the ball the other way would be seen to be given more of a sweet spot for a connection on the ball. And that's what John Cooney's alluding to. But a lot of people go straight down the middle of the post. Nobody from there is going to the left post. I just think that I'd, I'd love to know the explanation or why it's being done because when I'm on the pitch with lads kicking and I'm standing in behind, it's the first thing you're looking at. Where's their body teeing it up to? Where's the ball being teed up to? And that, that doesn't look nice, but... I don't like his action of falling away from the kick anyway um, because his weight isn't going through it. So whether the ball, like I said, 90% could be right. So you could have the ball set up poorly, but if you kick through that and your body finishes through it, then maybe we're not even talking about the ball placement because the ball went over the bar. So one of those two things, they can't both be happening at the same time, in my opinion. Uh, I don't, and everything coming left of that post from the left-hand side off his right foot, you know, his body weight has just swung exactly to where the ball has been, has been left of, of the post, you know. So, um, there's 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 a couple of things that make it kind of uh, not really nice to look at from a kicking perspective. Mike, you agree with all of that on the kicking, yes? Yeah, I, I was just going <laughs> to say that's probably going to add too much to uh, kick, kicking technique. But uh, Mike Burns, yeah. big long one down the middle of the pitch, like that <laughs> exactly. one. Yeah, yeah, I don't think I, I think I did a conversion at school once, but um, yeah, look, just just yeah. Aside from the kicking technique, yeah, that it just seems, I suppose. From South Africa's point of view, I don't know, was it a trial? Was it a test? They've obviously taken confidence from, you know, that 7-1 bench split where they, they hammered New Zealand at Twickenham in, in one of the warm-up games before the World Cup. And, you know, they've come into this game, 7-1 split, uh, no out-and-out kicker, as you've, you've spoken about with LeBoc there. But uh, I think their learnings going forward are, you know, if this is a World Cup final, they're obviously, you know, they're probably not going to go through for those for those same tactics. It just seems crazy. Yeah. Yeah, look, two, two of the kicks, like you said, Faf de Klerk were, were within their own half. So, you know, most you can't say they would have got those six points and would have been a changing point. I think in terms of changing, the, you know, one thing Ireland will definitely look at is the end of the game where their discipline was really good, less than 10 penalties. I think they gave nine penalties away. You know, you always say less test match level, you know, pen, less than 10 penalties. You've got, you know, if you give more than 10 penalties, you've got, it's very difficult to win a, win a test match. But that last penalty, I think Dan Sheen gave it away. They kicked to the corner and, you know, it was touch and go as to whether, that, I mean, I don't know what the referees pinged, you know, because it looked like the ball was there. So I don't know if he's pinged the nine for going in on it, on his knees to dig the ball out, but it looked like the ball was there. So, you know, from my perspective, that's, that is a little bit of a, a let off because I'm not sure, you know, that ball probably sh maybe was the wrong decision by the referee. Yeah, I, what I saw a lot of people pointing out and I, it probably makes sense is that if you, if you look at when the, the mall initially goes to ground, Ben O'Keefe, the referee, he he runs in to have a look on the, the open side of the pitch, yeah. can't see the ball appearing, and then he goes around to the far side to have a look, and he can't see the ball appearing, but while he's on the far side, the ball has appeared yeah. on the inside, so like he, he probably actually has spent too long looking for the ball and eventually it appeared. So, yeah, yeah. I mean, it, if he blew, blew, blew the whistle, I think it blows the whistle too late. If he blown the whistle yeah. kind of earlier, it would have made more sense. Yeah. If the ball wasn't coming out, he actually, I think it's blocked by Corpus Reinach's leg when he goes around the other side, but 
it was so long waiting for it to come out. Other referees blow that really quickly. So yeah. I don't think it was the wrong decision in a sense. It just seemed really harsh because the ball was eventually there. And you, if it was in the middle of a game out the pitch, the ref would just leave a play on. So I think yeah. it is a bit of a funny one. But you see with the, the kicking and the, uh, the ball hitting the post, wasn't that, and correct me if I'm wrong, but that sequence was when uh, James Lowe picked up Ivan Etzebet, got the turnover for the mall. So into the scrum, they brought on half that bomb squad yeah. scrum penalty. Um, was it was it something along those lines, or the ball got rushed out of the scrum and, and Ireland got turned over? Yeah. So after they went for the scrum again, absolutely obliterated the Irish scrum, and that's when Manny Labak actually got the ball out the back of a a sweet pass from uh, Dealande. He actually, I think, could have ran in himself because Hugo Keenan was doing the goalkeeping at that stage. He was in no man's land because Ireland actually hit a man early. I think a man a man narrow, and I think he could have ran in himself or passed the ball over the top. So directly coming from. And that, like you said, but Mike kind of alluded to there as well. The last couple of minutes, Ireland gave away uh, the penalty from Dan Sheen to go into the corner. I just thought they were creaking. You know, if that game had done five more minutes, I think South Africa would have found the solution. They were giving up gain line after gain line and they were finding the answers. I think Robbie Henshaw was class. Um, Connor Murray was very good around there. Uh, Bealham was very good as well, getting off the line, but they were absolutely creaking. I remember watching when I'm watching the games, I'd be taking down one or two things and I was like, oh my good God, we're creaking. You know, it was just game line and game line and game line. And you can't give that up for, for too long. Johnny, I can't understand why, you know, because South Africa's biggest weapon is is their mall. I can't understand why, you know, Faf de Klerk didn't, you know, they didn't go for the corner and just try and build on what their biggest weapon is, is their mall. Look, we can see how important it is and how, how, how massive it is in the context of any test match of taking the opportunities when you're five metres out. You know, we saw it in, I think, the... Was a game yesterday, uh, Wales, Wales, Australia, not yesterday on Sunday, where Australia were trying to get back in the game. They had a line out in Wales' 22, and it was an absolute shambles of kind of movement. It was a comedy of errors, and they lost the ball. Next thing, Wales are down on their try line. So, um, you know, on the flip side, Wales uh, had, I think, a 13 man line out towards the end of the game and, and scored from it because they're precise, they're accurate. You know, it's there's so there's such high stakes on those lineouts, you know, five, five meters out. But yeah, I can't understand why they didn't just back themselves, South Africa, go for the corner, you know, big, heavy, strong men. The mall is their biggest weapon, and uh, yeah, I'm not sure why they didn't go to it more. Right on that, isn't it? Like I think when you're out there, fifty plus meters, you're kind of thinking we could go for goal here and take away three points, or you know, the momentum shifts if you miss it and you get a you have to catch a restart. If you're gone in inside the twenty two. It's still time and time spent in play inside in the opposition twenty two going to a mall with big men, um, or you know, good good um kind of technical pack as well within that you know. But I think the the last thing on this because I know you want to move on to Wales Australia, but Manny Lebock for all we're saying about his goal kicking, the last kick that he put in was it from close to halfway. He put it into the five. It's the yeah. reason. It's the reason they had that last opportunity. If he put that to the twenty two, Ireland would just pin that mall, and I don't think it's going to be a whole lot coming from it. But he put it into the five, and I close to the five in here and Ireland looked like they panicked they didn't have you know a lot of time in there the way we didn't see South Africa do it you see that they don't put anyone up they they attack the middle of it they pin the edges and you know the rest is too technical for me but like they Ireland were one in the air one off the side they weren't together in that mall it absolutely shocked me I was I thought they were going to lose the game Lads, you, lads you've, you've, look, you've had your opportunity to talk about kicking technique and backs plays one one thing I just very likely to bring up if, very quickly if I may yeah. um a massive play by Ireland on the scrum when they're on their own line and they get the penalty. Now, I know John Fogarty from coaching scrums at, at Leinster. That is kind of a, a rabbit out of the hat, a magician, you know, a one, 
you know, one trick you can have up your sleeve to use in a game when you're on your own line, you're under pressure. And I think a lot of teams use it, but I, I, I remember using it with John Fogarty when I was at Leinster. It's, you know, you're on your own line, you've got your scrum, it's your, your put in, but there's a call and that call means to everyone that on the engage, no, no one engages. And what it means, everyone's on the same page. So, you know, Ireland go down to, to, for the scrum on the engage, they don't actually engage. And what it makes it look like is, Everyone's doing the same thing, so it just looks like the opposition have gone early, and and that's how they get the penalty. It's uh, it's very clever, very simple. But you know, as long as everyone buys into it, you know, as long as the, the back row aren't shunting the second row, and the second row aren't shunting into the into the front row. I mean, Johnny, you probably you your forward pack probably use it. I don't know with the team you coach, but uh, yeah, it's it's a golden oldie. But bloody hell, it worked. You couldn't possibly be suggesting there's some shenanigans going on at a scrum, Mike, are you? Yeah, there's definitely. Uh, it, <laughs> I mean, it's it's. I was watching it. I was like, oh, I've not, I completely forgot about it. And I saw it, and I was like, oh, that just reminded me. You know, there's a call gone in there, and everyone's on the same page. It's as I say, it's you can use it in in one game. Um, you, you wouldn't get away with doing it again. It's too obvious, but um, yeah, it, it definitely worked. Well, we talk about. It, I, I might move on after this, but we talk about the. We spoke earlier on about the chain reaction of a kick hits the post, rebound leads to a South African try. That free kick that Ireland won five meters out from their own from their own try line just after seventy minutes. It was after Dion Fury's um crooked throw. So that free that free kick that they won from maybe not taking the hit. They go up the pitch. They turn over South Africa. Tigburn kicks the ball down. They force a. Jack, Jack Crowley's drop goal gets deflected. Ireland have a five-meter scrum. And South Africa shove early again. And because it's been a free kick two minutes earlier down the other end of the pitch, Ben O'Keefe is upgrading it to a penalty this time around. And Jack Crowley puts it between the posts. And Ireland are leading by five. And it actually came from a reversal of Ireland doing it. The first scrum, I think, Porter went early free kick, didn't he? And in yeah, the... he was he in fairness to O'Keefe, he was consistent with it because right at the start of the game he gave a free kick against Ireland and then went penalty straight afterwards on the ne- on the next scrum. So Ty Furlong penalty then and Ty Furlong was kind of looking around. So maybe there was tricks of the trade going both ways, knowing that Ireland were going to load up early to try and deal with the dark arts, Johnny. Hopefully, no, we, hopefully they haven't blown their cover. Hopefully, haven't blown their cover <laughs> if they want to try it again later on in the, in the tournament. James Lowe, James Lowe was counting the clock down, wasn't it? it got to within two seconds. <laughs> was he counting it? Yeah, apparently, apparently James Lowe. If you look no, at no Crowley, sorry. Oh, so, yeah, but James Lowe was counting, wasn't he? He was apparently. I, I read this morning James Lowe was stood right next to the kicker. Oh, <laughs> he was counting down for him, and you know, got to within two seconds. So it's obviously pretty pretty close. <laughs> Brilliant. Um, we're ne- we're nearly out of time, lads. So I might move it on quickly to Australia and Wales from Sunday night, which was uh, engrossing in its own way, just to see. Australia crumble and Wales just gig just grow in confidence as the game goes on. We'll go into it in a bit more detail later on in the week in a, in our second podcast because we won't have an Ireland game to look ahead to. But Johnny, the it's fa- it's been fascinating to see Eddie Jones and Warren Gatland both coming into jobs with struggling teams at the same time, close to a World Cup, and to see the different roads that those two teams have gone down has been fascinating, really, hasn't it? Yeah, it has been, but I think like it was set up for Wales to be able to. Now it was set up for you know Eddie Jones in the same boat, but like I think uh, with Gatlin and Wales' squad and you know the physicality that they can bring, he was going to be able to get them through to a, a quarter final with a small bit of cohesion. But I think when you look back at it, the reason they said it wasn't you know a great test match was obviously because of the 
the standard of play, standard of individual uh, performances around, you know, there's a load of reasons why. But if you look at the first play where um, Dan Bigger kicked the ball in behind, he had two numbers over on the edge, I think, on the left-hand side. And um, it was obviously just kind of game management, get into their half and put some pressure on and we'll start eking out a couple of points, you know. And I think that went out, like, throughout the game. There was there was a couple of moments where you're like, that's so cheap. And, I, you know, the fact that Dan Bigger wasn't looking to play first, the camera went on him and I think he's looking at someone outside being like, I know, yeah, I was actually on to go. But obviously it's so programmed that they're going for territory, uh, put the squeeze on. I think at one stage in the game it popped up that they had 100 not tackles and Australia had between 20 and 30. I can't remember the stat properly. And it just showed that they didn't have the ball for for all the scoring that they were doing. It's a transfer of pressure that they're at. And it's a... It's a typical Warren Gatlin kind of game plan, you know, when you don't really have the cohesion and attack, which they clearly didn't. It was either static and that pot of tree doing absolutely nothing with Gareth Anscombe kind of shifting it, waiting for the next phase. Whereas you see someone like Ireland or even Scotland, they're playing within that phase and making teams make decisions. Wales didn't do that. You know, they went to kick, contest in the air, maul, driving back, win penalties, kick your points. And that's what they did for most of the game. So, like, I'm not saying you're not allowed to do that. It's a very effective game plan. Um, South Africa had a very kind of similar transfer of pressure to win a World Cup in the, in the last World Cup, but they actually explode when they get the turnover. I'm not sure Wales have that explosion when they do it, even to the point where I, I think I saw, you know, trying to pick the, these things up without actually knowing their game plan at all or without knowing their calls. But you see George North as a 13 is tagging onto the edge of a, of a forward pod from first phase, second phase, third phase. It just feels like one of those kind of... Uh, the last decade you were given like three phase pattern plays and the 13 will show up out here and it's just about ball retention until the other team give up in a sense and uh, and I think it was just the, the last bit I'll say is that it was fairly evident that you know um, I can't remember who it was Valentini was it uh, when he when he dived on the ball outside of the rock yeah. uh, and he gave away the penalty in front end of the ball towards the end of the first half my god like uh, we still see it at club level it is happening but like uh, Wayne Barnes had to tell them and you can hear that there's a conversation going on behind the screen these are the laws. You, and the ball is out, yes. But even if the ball is out, it has to be gone um, with further than a metre from the rock for you to be able to dive on the ball, run in and pick it up all you want. It's not offside because the ball is out. And I was kind of like, it was even on, on the commentary they were trying to figure it out. And I think it might have been uh, two or three seconds out of the rock before you can pick it up. And I was like, it's a metre. It's one metre. It's in the laws. You know what I mean? I'll, I, I'll tell you now, Johnny, I played J4 rugby and in the WhatsApp group of a few friends of mine that are playing like there was a handful of people in that group saying, how on earth does he not know the the, the law by now? Like yeah. it's, you don't need to be a professional to know this sort of stuff at this stage. Like this, I know is, the, this is lads in their mid thirties playing division nine Metro. Like. <laughs> but it, it can, the, the pressure will get you and you're eager to get your hands back on the ball. So I understand yeah. possibly giving the penalty away, but the questioning, well, I don't understand it fully because you should be tuned in, but like uh, I can understand why it happened. It's the questioning afterwards. I was kind of going, it was like England back in the Italy game when they were saying, but is that not offside? And yeah. I think the sixth one at the beginning where he's saying you can't coach them to not be offside. It's like, it's like they were looking for Wayne Barnes to coach them on what the laws were. And, that's it's you're way too far gone if that's the case in the kind middle of uh, kind of penalty I would have given away in my time I think so uh, but uh, <laughs> yeah, I, think, I think just on the Wales Australia game I think it just shows with 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 Warren Gatland I mean he's got a he's got a track record of performing at World Cups hasn't he um, you know time in the seat time in the saddle you know he came in a lot of pressure wasn't going well the same you look to when Joe Schmidt left you know Andy Farrell questions being asked Mike Cat coming from Italy as a attack coach questions being asked they bring Paul O'Connell into the coaching ticket and you know that seems to be a, an added ingredient to the recipe of speeding up the breakdown more vicious more nasty at the breakdown so 
you know, I think the arguments to keep Eddie Jones are that, you know, he hasn't had time to prepare them properly. Um, is there anyone better that they can put in place to, to, to kind of take over? But, you know, from Wales' perspective, even still, Mike Forshaw, he, he, he coached me at Connacht. He was defence coach at Connacht. Uh, great fellow, great, great coach. That was his first kind of union coaching gig. Uh, went on to sail Sharks. And, um, you know, the defence to me looked like an old Sean Edwards defence, you know. Sorry, great defense. Yeah, felt the exact same. I, I thought of Sean Edwards, like you know, so they're going back yeah. to their old recipe. Yeah. That, 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 that brick wall, that red brick wall, speed to feet, people getting on their feet, working their backside off, do it, you know, getting up off the feet, off the ground, giving them width in their defensive line, well connected, getting off uh, great shape in their defense. And you know, I actually thought watching the game, I thought, well, geez, Australia are up for this, they're, they're running hard, they're running direct, they're winning collisions. Um, but uh, yeah, they just couldn't, and and they they were going to multi phase. They were getting into high 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 phase count, but they just couldn't break down that Welsh defence. It was absolutely incredible. Um, but they yeah, like, they felt very individual, didn't they? Like, and that's I think the difference between Warren Gatland and Eddie Jones. I think, in fairness, Eddie Jones, I know his game plan isn't, you know, you know, it's not unbelievably positive either. But like, he does have those Australian guys trying to make decisions, and he's trying to play within the, the strengths of the team. They have obviously very good backline as well. But I think Warren Gatland was like, no. Like we're going into the mall. We're going to mall you twenty meters twice. I think in the game they did that, which is absolutely embarrassing for for Australia in a, a crunch match like that for your mall to get walked. Um, whereas I don't think I don't think Warren Gatlin would allow that to happen to his pack. I think you'd have them so tough uh, defensively, like Mike said as well. It, it's all the nuts and bolts of the game that he gave them, and then the, the rest of it will come as the tournament goes on. If they are to go there, I think they will pick up. You know, Josh Adams and and Liam Williams will have moments like you know. Um, but I don't think. Australia went the right way around it. They wanted to play all the rugby without having the nuts and bolts in place, and that's why you're seeing different kind of. What, what about Gareth? What about Gareth Anscombe's performance? I mean, the injury setbacks he's had with his knee injury, being out for so long. You know, you see Dan Bigger go off early, and he, you know, I, I was thinking, wow, God, that's a, that's a huge, huge loss. But um, yeah, I think Anscombe was absolutely incredible. You know, marshaled the game, cool, calm, collected, identified space, put the ball there, uh, just completely ran the ship. It was kind of like a, you know. You want to have that depth, that quality. It was like, you know, Dan Big is like equivalent of, a, I suppose, a Johnny Sexton. It's like having a Johnny Sexton coming on for a Johnny Sexton. It was, you know, that's, I think that's a brilliant place for Wales to be in, in terms of having two brilliant fly halves. Um, he went to that game, Mike, didn't he, with the, the kick for Tompkins to under a post? I think he was just uh, humming at that stage. But there was yeah. bits that I kind of looked at, they, they had a mall and they, they walked forward. And I, I think they had the, um, the penalty advantage. And you could see from the behind camera that, there was someone after breaking down right. There was someone after running ahead for a kind of a hit line off the nine. Gareth Anson got it at the back and tried to kick it to, to Josh Adams. It was just in touch. But that was one of those moments where I felt like they weren't on the same page in attack. You know, they were, well, penalty advantage, what are we going to do? Everyone does different things. You know, and if that was someone who was further down the tracks, I think they would have had a better answer for that penalty advantage. You know, I liked the kick and it was very nearly on the money. And he obviously had a better kicking game with that one under the post with Tompkins. So I think Gareth Anscombe, like Micah said, was, was on the money. I think he grew into the game very nicely, but I think he's got a bit more to his game in terms of how to play the space a small bit better, and I, and I think the cohesion isn't fully there, but like I said, the nuts and bolts of Warren Gatlin are there, and they're going to cause trouble. Yeah, and it's either way, it's it's going to take a good, well-organised team to knock them out of the tournament, even if they're not the best team in the world. You're going to have to be on it if you want to beat them, because the way they're organised. Fellas, that's all we have time for. I need to wrap this up, because I need to go 
Only I'm from that Scotland game, guys. Never mind. <laughs> That's the water after knocking yours all over your room. We have we have ten days to build up to Scotland. I need to go clean a, a glass of black currant squash that I knocked over about five minutes into the podcast. Uh, just a reminder: plenty of games coming up on RT two and RT player over the next few days. Japan against Samoa on Thursday night, eight o'clock kickoff. Uh, we also have on Saturday Argentina against Chile at two o'clock. That's followed on Saturday by Fiji against Georgia. And then on Sunday on RT2 and RT Player, um, we have South Africa against Tonga. That is an eight o'clock kickoff uh, from Marseille. Johnny and Mike, it's been a pleasure. Thanks a million for joining us on the podcast. What did you say? I think you're muted. Oh, sorry. I think I'm muting myself. Can you hear me? Yeah. I just said... It didn't come out. You're shouting too loud, if anything, Mike. Well, lads, thanks for having me. It's been an absolute pleasure. Goodbye. The RTE Rugby World Cup Podcast. Sponsored by Bank of Ireland.